Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. This evening, God above, we gather by your grace and mercy, thankful for the moisture and the ability, nevertheless, to travel and to be here safely, God. Uh, we ask in particular for our church, our churches across this nation, our fellow Christians, wherever they may be, and this nation broadly, Lord, for peace, protection, and prosperity, our God above, not for our own sake, Lord, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of your people, Lord, whom uh, you are dedicated to in the covenant of grace. We ask, Lord, that this peace and prosperity and protection, God, uh, for the churches, uh, especially in light of many things that have been going on uh, last week and over the years, Lord, uh, in which more and more people are taking Christians to be of the wrong ilk, uh, to be bigots, to be hateful, to be uh, insurrectionists even, Lord, uh, and all other kinds of lies. In other words, Lord, people are not speaking truth to their neighbor. And God, it riles people up, gets them agitated and angry. And so we pray for that protection, Lord, from such anger. And prosperity, God, for the sake of the church again, Lord, for our children, our children's children, God, that we would be a blessing to this nation. But God, above, we pray especially for the prosperity that comes from repentance, the prosperity of the heart, God. We pray for the repentance of America and her leaders and the vast majority of Americans themselves, Lord, who hate you, hate your gospel, hate your law, and hate your people. So, God, in particular, we pray in this nation of ours, Lord, and society, not just legally, but through the cultural pressures that we have in Hollywood and the media and uh, businesses and whatever else it may be, Lord, country clubs and whatnot, that uh, there would be truth. And truth would come forward, Lord, on a host of issues that we deal with. Much confusion, Lord, much uh, half-informed information, God, that we have to draw conclusions on. I pray, God, that we would do thus with humble hearts. Realization, God, we need more, and it's hard to find reliable sources of truth, God. We pray in particular uh, with, with the Atlanta shooting, God, for those involved and the church involved, that you would protect that church, Lord. We pray for the peace and protection of that church, uh, God, as we understand it to be a conservative uh, Baptist church, Lord, even of the Calvinist persuasion, uh, that they would be protected from the mobs and the anger and the political football they're going to turn this into, Lord, in both parties, and God. Uh, we've even seen, Lord, uh, people who call themselves Christians and pastors uh, in churches, even Reformed churches, uh, to make passing swipes at this church, Lord, as though somehow they're at fault for what happened because they're just too conservative is the implication, God. Again, falsehoods against our neighbors, Lord, contrary to the word of God as we read here. And we are in such a situation, God, in society where trust is breaking down and we don't have much of a leverage, Lord, and it's very hard as a church uh, to have a united front to de- deal with these things and to get to the truth of the matter and to get to the facts of the matter. And it may be, as we see with other crimes, Lord, we don't fully understand exactly what happened and it may be shut up from us, in which case may, Lord, we uh, be humble and be quiet about such things, Lord, that we don't know fully about. We have tentative deci- uh, uh, responses to be sure, God, in our opinions. But may we understand them to be only opinions. Again, shut the mouth of liars and those who rile up people against us and those like us, our fellow believers and Christians, God. Give us protection. Give us peace. We pray, God, for our brothers and sisters who have it worse than us in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, and elsewhere, God, in this world, that you protect those churches, that you'd be with them both physically and spiritually, that you would give them the leaders that they need, God, that you would help them support one another, Lord, and give them 
common sense uh, to protect themselves physically, God, if need be, to hide in caves, to worship you in, in a forest or something, God. Whatever the case may be, may we, Lord, pray for them. We ask that they would get the help that they need. Uh, God above, that you would move the heart of the dictators or the tribal leaders or whatever the case may be, uh, Lord, to overlook them, to leave them alone, God, that they would live peaceably, as we read in Peter, that we would do our duty and job before you, God, and not be troublemakers in society to follow your word. Help them, Lord, do that, we pray. Protect them. Again, we ask them for their prosperity and their growth and the knowledge of their Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask, God, that you be with us this week. That this evening, Lord, we'll end with the blessing of your Spirit upon us and that we would carry on, Lord, our duties this week with the hope of the gospel before us, our vocations and callings, Lord, whether we be students or teachers, whether we be workers or employers or employees, God, uh, whatever job we're called to do this week, God, may we do it as unto you. And most heartily, Lord, with your strength and your graces and your blessings upon us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Sometimes I've got to be careful not to preach my sermon in the prayer. <clears throat> Let us turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. I'm going through these minor prophets, so this is my third book. Uh, it's amazing how practical it can be, right? Sure, we don't have a temple. The connection is pretty clear, though. It's the kingdom of God. That was the visible representation of it. Uh, today, the visible representation is especially the church of God, wherever she may be. But also, a lot of social issues come up, and legal things, moral realities. And perhaps the church uh, needs to... I know Dr. Kappas has in the past uh, preached on the Old Testament. We'll see that these things are for us today and for our children. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and following. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God, verses 16 and following. We went through chapter 8 last week. Um, A lot of things here, but the main theme, of course, was the goodwill of God. And at the end here, he leaves them, as it were, with a departing message of that vision. These are the things you shall do, right? After God blesses them and they come back to the land fully, speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for the truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these things I hate, says the Lord. Let us pray. With these admonitions, Lord, and encouragements and even warning all wrapped up here, God, may we take it to heart and may we pray in light of this truth given where we are in society and in our churches, God, uh, that we would continue to speak the truth to our neighbors, and that this would be an exhortation for us, as I believe in our church, that we don't have a special problem with this, God, but it is in society around us, uh, Lord, and so we are therefore called to be even more careful and to pursue the truth with our neighbor, whoever they may be. In your name alone we pray. Amen. As you know, there is much talk of justice has been for a while, and it's been built up the last year and the last several months. It's in the advertisements, it's in the schools, it's in the political speeches, it's in the churches, for crying out loud. Uh, many people, there's a uh, a tweeter, what do you, guy who tweets. I, post, it's, I don't know what you call that. I follow Twitter, and I don't know what you call that. I follow a guy, and his what he decides to do apparently on his spare time is he will go to all the churches, moderates, even some conservatives, mostly moderates and liberals, and just post them and give partial transcripts of the highlights of the crazy stuff being said in these churches in the name of social justice. 
I don't see all of it, of course, but I see some of it in my stream. And just, you just shake your head, wow, this is astounding. Now, obviously, when I talk about it, it's right here in the text. I'm not making a point of preaching it today. It's, you knew it was coming if you read ahead. I'm going through Zechariah, and I went through Malachi and Micah. There, there it is. And, of course, I also went through those books knowing that they'd be relevant today. How relevant, I didn't know until it happened. <laughs> but these people, uh, these churches and false churches and false leaders use these things as verbal clubs, social justice as a verbal club to beat people into their view of so-called social justice. And it happens in the church, sadly, as I point out. If you want to see some grotesque stuff, I can tell you who that Twitterer is. <laughs> it's the word for that. It's going to drive me nuts. So the first point, truth to neighbors. That's obviously the highlight here. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. And then at the end he says, do not love a false oath. Right. So again, it's emphatic here. In the beginning and the end of these verses of truth. And in the middle, you have the idea of justice and peace. So those themes are there as well. Thinking evil against your neighbor <coughs> is there as well. <clears throat> and I'll talk about that. But truth to neighbors. Speak truth to your neighbors. Of course, first of all, socially he's speaking this way. <clears throat> and it's always social. The justice or the judicial system comes after the social system. You have a society first, like in America, the fathers or families getting together, and they agree to covenant implicitly or explicitly and start a society or a city or a country. The social is there before the legal. That's what I mean. And so always the case, if you have to speak the truth, it's going to be always at the minimal. Society, social level. So from that perspective, we'll see here, personal lies is obviously being forbidden. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Socially, and in particular, personally, when you talk to one-on-one, or you to a small group, don't make things up about your neighbor just to make yourself look better. Don't lie about your friend or coworker, whatever that may be. <clears throat> That's clearly what he's talking about, or at least at a minimal, that is what he's talking about. But not just personal, public. If that which is done privately is wrong, how much more is it wrong if it's public? In the case of the private, only one or two parties are injured by the lie. Publicly, it's all over the place. Your reputation is now in the mud. And so public sins are always more heinous than private sins as a general rule. If it's the same sin, all things equal, right? All things equal. You add one more called public, boom, it's worse. More heinous sight, sin in the sight of God and man. And so attacking what we have today, and I'll mention this a little later, where you attack men and women for being men and women. That's a lie, isn't it? The lie is you can be what you want, literally. You all know what I'm talking about, right? That's a great lie. They are not speaking truth to their neighbor. When they call a he, a she, a she, a he, or whatever the case may be. That is just rampant in society. And it's terrible because it's a public lie. It's even worse. And it's not just a public lie. It's a lie that attacks the basis of society, which is the family. And the distinction between men and women. You destroy that, there goes society. And we're seeing it in real time. What lies do to a populace. It's promoted in the schools, in social media, in the churches, as I mentioned. The mainline churches swallowed whole these lies back in the 70s. It was already beginning. They already had resolutions. You know, we feel sorry for these people who are confused about what a man is or what a woman is. Because it's all about sympathy. It's the sympathy of the devil, right? But it's always been. It's been an excuse to perpetuate wickedness. 
I have a right to be wicked, is what we're hearing in society. Even in conservative churches, I use the word conservative there broadly. I know we could say, well, they're not real conservatives. Well, I mean, still, the world sees it, you see it, it can be confusing because if you don't know any better, they give off all the right vibes, they say all the right things, they check off all the right confessions. And then you find out, well, these conservatives are really what has been called in some circles soft conservatives or whatever else you want to call them. And they turn around when society complains about misogyny, hatred of men. They say, you're right. We don't want misogynists like those conservative conservatives. They don't quite say that. They just say, you know, you people don't understand and you don't treat women very well. We're orthodox, and I know you're orthodox, but your actions are a little weak because you actually think women should submit. You're a misogynist. I've seen that from Christian leaders. may not be the biggest Christian leaders you know, but it was theirs, this kind of game. It's not speaking the truth to your neighbor, is it? Public lies about the basics of society, even among brethren, that is, fellow Christians and conservatives, is even a more heinous sin, isn't it, to those closest to you? Lying to your mother is worse than lying to a stranger. Don't forget that. So those are the lies that we are dealing with in real time. And unfortunately, lies beget hate. Right? Lies can beget hate. And that's what we see here. If you run around saying a man can be a woman, a child can be an adult, make adult decisions, is that loving or hating? Would you call that loving or would you call that hatred? You may say, I'm not going to call it loving. That's not loving. I'm not going to call it hatred. Well, if you remember, hatred is a relative category. It doesn't mean there's absolute hatred. It doesn't have to be conscious. Just the act itself is a hateful act. It doesn't matter what your opinion is of the act. If you treat a child and expect them to do adult things, and they're not equipped to do adult things and have adult responsibilities, that's not love. That's dangerous in some cases, isn't it? Harmful. Give them a car. Give them a gun. Say, what's your problem? And that's what lies do. They say children can be like adults, women can be like men. A woman, why can't a woman be a fireman or a soldier? Is that loving to put them on the front line when their upper body strength is not three times as as a man? A man's three times, just even the skinny men are three times more muscle mass on top than a woman. And you expect them to have that kind of job that requires that kind of strength. You know, different abilities for different things. You put them in the wrong thing. Is that a loving thing or a hateful thing? If you have a lie like that, it's a hateful lie that has hateful consequences. I don't care what their intentions are, I would argue. It's a relative hatred, to be sure, but it's still hateful. And that's what we're seeing, brothers and sisters. It's an objective hate, whether intentional or not. They're lying, and they're lying about us. They're lying about one another. They're lying about men and women and children. And it's all across this nation. God says, speak the truth. To his neighbor, speak each man the truth to his neighbor, not lie. Stop lying. He obviously had a lying problem, right? That's why he's emphasizing speaking the truth. There are other commandments. Are all ten commandments here? No. And so that's why one way you know what the point of the text is, is what they're emphasizing in the text. The lying, the lack thereof. Speak the truth, stop lying to your neighbor. Who's the neighbor? The neighbor here is interesting. It's a different word. Just Hey, there you go. It's a different word in English. It's a different word in Hebrew. But it's obviously parallel to chapter 7, right? In chapter 7, verses 8 and following, we read in verse 8, Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. And then in verse 10 at the end, Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. 
And we read here, speak the truth to your neighbor. In verse 17, don't think evil in your heart against your neighbor. It's strikingly similar, isn't it? So clearly, neighbor is a virtually a synonym in this context, I would argue, for brother. And I say virtually because the word neighbor is a little broader than brother. They do overlap significantly, however. It's a friend or literally a neighbor, someone close to you geographically in particular, uh, or even an acquaintance. Again, an acquaintance who is geographically close to you. When he says neighbor, he he doesn't mean the Chinese. (laughs) They're not neighbors to Israel in no sense of the term other than they're human. Okay, And so the use of neighbor in the Bible is those close to you, literally geographically close to you. They didn't have the Internet like we do today. And the likes so of someone within your sphere of influence or their influence upon you. Friend, neighbor, or acquaintance is how the word is used. And uh, here, given the theme of Zechariah earlier, it's very much similar to the idea of brother, which emphasizes kinship. Neighbor, on the other hand, emphasizes geographical closeness, whether in your job or in your neighborhood uh, or uh, at your sporting events, whatever the case may be, that's your neighbor. And so, in the case of uh, love for one another, or uh, storge, if you remember that weird word, <clears throat> I can't think of a good English word. We have several of them, like patriot, patriot, but it's more than patriotism, because it's also love of your family. That one emphasizes, like brother, closeness of kinship and the like, or those like you, a neighbor emphasizes, again, geographical, it seems to me. We see this in the Good Samaritan parable. You all remember the Good Samaritan parable. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. So which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The first thing to note here is the simple fact that the list of characters Jesus offers does not include people that are not near the Samaritan. (laughs) There's no Chinese, there's, uh, there's no Africans, there's no Europeans. It's literally people who are geographically... Physically, right there, and they could have done something about it, right? That's the neighbor Jesus is talking about. Because again, often, and a hundred years ago, they did it in the liberal churches. They would take these texts, twist them, and say, you should be a neighbor to strangers halfway across the world, right? And give to the UN, for example. And yet, when you see how it's used here, clearly in Zechariah, he's not talking about the Babylonians. He's talking about the Jews in Israel, your neighbors, your fellow Jews. And probably, I, I, I could grant this, it's conceivable that he's also including any unbelieving Jews there. You're not supposed to lie about them either, if they're your neighbor. And so Jesus, in his parable, says, which of these men, right? which of these are acting the neighbor? Because the idea of neighbor is they're right there and you can do something about it. That's the emphasis. Not exclusively, but I believe that is the emphasis in the Bible. And he said, of course, those who showed mercy on him, and Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. It's those who are near you and it's within your power, immediate power, and if all things are considered equal, you can do something about it. If you're in a dangerous part of New York City and someone's on the side of the road and you have your baby with you, I do not recommend pulling your car over in a bad neighborhood to help that car. You can call the cops. That's why I said all things are considered equal. The parable, of course, isn't there to give you a moral lesson in everything. Uh, some people think it's there to, to show the Pharisees their hypocrisy, because that's who he picked. <laughs> the Sadducees and the priests and others, and then this half-breed comes along and does the right thing. Shame on you Jews. Be the emphasis there. So, truth-telling, 
Another way of looking at this text of speak each man, truth to his neighbor, and do not love a false oath, the emphasis here, of course, being on truth-telling, is love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. To speak the truth to your neighbor is a way of showing love to your neighbor. Let none of you think evil in your heart is another way of saying think good things in your heart. (laughs) Don't do the evil, think of the good things, uh, i.e., love your neighbor. So this is the Old Testament form of saying love your neighbor as yourself. It's common in the Old Testament. And of course, it's in the context of God's law, not in the context of feelings. Love does not violate God's law. When God said, and Christ said, and the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, love there doesn't mean I feel really good about God. Well, I'm glad you do. <laughs> but are you committed to him? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to do the right thing? At least attempt to by his grace with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Of course, in America today, one of the great lies they tell us is, hey, you feel good about it, it must be a good thing. Done good to your neighbor. Because you feel good about it. I feel good. I feel good. I feel good about it. Don't be such a Debbie Downer, man. What's your problem? You should feel good about what we're doing, regardless if it's objectively true or right or wrong. So one of the problems, of course, in society is these people who push their approach to justice violate God's law often which is to say it's a form of lying and not speaking truth to our neighbors by inventing sins that are not real, trying to hang it on us or you or whoever else it may be. So speak the truth is to speak the truth personally, publicly, about even things we're uncomfortable about. should lie that the Atlanta murderer came from a conservative church. You don't have to maybe say it. Just not speaking is not the same thing as lying necessarily. Right, You don't always have to open your mouth and say something. But at the same time, we're not going to lie about it. Simply not going to lie about it. And we shouldn't. We should speak the truth to our neighbor, even in cases that are uncomfortable. That's how serious we take God's law. Secondly, justice to neighbors. Truth to neighbors, broadly conceived, and then more specifically, or perhaps an overlapping idea or domain. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. And this is why... It's probably the case when he says, speak truth to your neighbor. He's not just speaking socially only, but especially uh, legally in the gates of justice. Give judgment in your gates. That phrase or that word gates or in your gates, the prepositional phrase, uh, is common in the Bible. The gates, of course, were a place of the courts, the judges, and public decisions and declarations. Although we don't have city gates anymore, the parallel is clear. It's the judicial system or even the political system as well as they overlap in the Old Testament, to be sure. The judges, as you know, were told very clearly in the Bible not to take a bribe, because to take a bribe is a way of lying, is to be paid to lie. right? To give a man off the hook and not give equal weights and measure in the judicial system. To speak truth, justice, and peace, or to give judgments for truth, and give judgment for justice, and to give judgment for peace. Peace between warring parties, for example. Unfortunately, again, in our system in America, it seems more and more it's been set up to perpetuate the struggle and not bring about peace, but bring about more anger 
And that should not be the case. Justice, of course, is the idea of giving due reward or punishment in proper proportion. And the truth is the reality of the situation. We must speak of the reality of the situation, whether privately, publicly, socially, judicially, politically, familially, ecclesiastically, whatever domain of life. Speak the truth to your neighbor. Not what peer pressure groups say, not what the latest poll says, not what's politically expedient. As we saw last year, when all parties bowed their knee to a lie. Politically expedient. Witness, Psalm 15.4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Perhaps he's speaking about being a witness in the case, in the gates or in the law courts. Are you a witness? Are you a judge? We know the judge is supposed to do. Witnesses are supposed to speak the truth as well, even if it's against your family member. I wouldn't want to do that. But if I had to, we believe in God and his truth. Psalm 15.4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And it can be hurtful indeed to give an oath to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, and you end up having to tell the truth about a family member because of a crime. You must speak the truth. We've seen those crime shows where the family member is tempted to lie, right, to protect his family on the witness to stand. No. And we should not love a false oath. You give, you swear, or you give an oath, though there are technical distinctions we make in the confession, but in general parlance is just you swear. You, you give your word to speak the truth in the courts. That, that, that is exactly what we should do. And not lie through omission. I mentioned you can not say everything, right? You don't have to say everything. You can just be quiet sometimes. But in the court, if you're digging into the, into the data, you know what people want. They want you to say everything relevant. And if you're quiet about that which is relevant, it's still a form of a lie. And again, you have that. And a number of big political issues that blow up are social problems and, and gunfights and battles and whatever else is going on. And you find out when you dig into, into statistics about who kills what, when, and how, and how often, that isn't given often. It's lying through omission. <laughs> People don't want to see the truth. It's very uncomfortable. But we must give the truth when we need to. Now, Gates is not just the law courts. As I mentioned, also politics can be involved as well. Now, political truth, of course, is a big problem we have in America. Too many lies on too many topics. Too little humility in admitting error when error is found. And too little accountability of the powers that be. I was quite uh, a good example of that is, well, what, 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 I can just pick any politician, right? But the one that really hit my head was when Dr. Fauci admitted yeah, you know, we, we fudged about the mask. We didn't want you guys having masks. We wanted the doctors to have masks. So we said early on, you don't really need a mask. Dude, just tell the truth. You want to tell the truth. How often does that happen? We don't know. It's hard to tell. Sometimes you walk away wondering, can I trust anything coming out of Washington? Well, the good thing is you can to some extent because it's such a huge bureaucracy that the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing, and sometimes the truth gets out. <laughs> but... Me that is made, this is where we are. We ought to speak the truth to give judgment in our gates, the gates of society, the gates of the law courts, or whatever the case may be. And then thirdly, not just to speak the truth to your neighbor, to give justice to your neighbor, and of course justice through giving the truth, and hopefully peace that comes from that, to have goodwill towards our neighbor. Verse 17, let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. 
It's the heart of the matter. Proverbs 3.29, devise not evil against your neighbor, seeing he dwells securely by thee. Right? There, there it is again, the idea of a neighbor being someone geographically close to you and relevant to you that you can actually do something about. Don't devise evil against them, which is to say, love your neighbor. It's a negative way of saying, love your neighbor, isn't it? Matthew Henry says, injury and mischief must be crushed in the thought, in the embryo. Tell it now, with respect to our neighbor, whoever they may be. Not just to think no evil, but to think good. Often, uh, of course, we don't assume the worst in our neighbor. As a general rule, you don't assume the worst in your neighbor. And you notice I say a general rule. We've been living under the general rule for so many generations, we forget that there are exceptions. Like, again, living in a very bad neighborhood where half your neighbors are drug dealers, you probably want to assume the worst to protect yourself, right? It is not evil to think the worst when you have evidence to think the worst. To believe otherwise is to be gaslighted by society, which is telling you to to stop that. How dare you think the worst? As you read my book, you'll see some of the worst. And the numbers show the worst. But they don't want you to see the worst, obviously, because they want to hide their sins. They creep in unawares and do what they will. And not just that issue of my book, but other issues in society as well. So this text, although the positive, or how you want to look at it, is the immediate is don't think evil of your neighbor. I'm explaining to you, it is not evil thinking if you have good cause to be wary and concerned, right? That's not what it means. It means thinking wrongfully, untruthfully. If the truth is, the odds are, this lifestyle leads to debauchery, destruction, and harm to children, that's not thinking evil, that's thinking truth. But our society doesn't want that, unfortunately. So in in general, in a healthy society, you don't think the worst if you are ignorant and all things are equal and a good situation. But of course, we understand that evil to be not just bad, but specifically wrong or lying badness. Because the context is mostly speak the truth, speak the truth in judgment, give truth in the gates, don't love a false oath. So thinking evil ought to be here, don't think Wrong lies about your neighbor, how you can manipulate and get away and do something, or whatever the case may be. And this can be done. This guarding of our hearts by the power of God. Let none of you think evil in your hearts against your neighbor, and he assumes, of course, that they are followers of the Messiah to come, and of God, and given the Holy Spirit, and that they can do it. God, in giving this urging, to them, in this chapter, I don't believe he's browbeating over the head. It's a, it's a mild re- reminder, maybe borderline chastisement of sorts. Don't go back to these old ways. Don't, don't do this. Do the right thing. When he gives commands to his people, he gives commands because he has given us a spirit and that we can obey more and more every day. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. So I mentioned evil, which is to think the wrong thing in the sense of a lie, and to use it, of course, perhaps for your gain, or to speak lies and bad things, or work out something evil against your neighbor. And, and the idea here, of course, against your neighbor is, again, all things considered equal. The word neighbor, that one, someone who's close to you. If a known criminal's car had a flat tire, would you help him? Would you call the cops? I hope you call the cops. 
right? It's not in every and all situations. And I, and, I, and I point this out again because we're in a society that wants to take these Bible verses. I've heard the pastors. I've seen the videos. And they take these texts and say, why are you being so hateful in your heart, having evil in your heart, and not helping that guy in the corner who's a known criminal who may jump you and take your family in your car, but you're supposed to love them anyway. No, you call the cops. Right? You call the cops. So it's given the right things and all things considered evil, equal. Now, you do show love to the neighbor who uh, perhaps is a known criminal insofar as, I don't know, if he trips you, you help him get up because you can't call the cops because it's so corrupt that the cops aren't going to come help you anyway. So that could conceivably happen. But in general, here he is talking about making up lies, thinking of ways to harm your neighbor perhaps, and your neighbor being anyone close to you who has no reason to have the cops call him, call on him and arrest him. <laughs> mass murderer, if it was Hitler, what would you do, right? Uh, those kind of uh, things. And I have to bring it up because that's where we are now. It's becoming more and more clear, more and more wickedness is going on out there, and we may not want to be so quick uh, to be helpful sometimes, frankly. <clears throat> but here it's not helpful. It's in the heart. My intent in the heart is not to say, I want this criminal uh, to be flogged and beaten humiliated. humiliated. I want the criminal to repent. That, that should be in our heart. I want the criminal to repent. And maybe the cops will help him repenting. So I'm going to help cops. <laughs> Life comes, becomes hard. That's one way people repent. They find out the consequences of their actions bring, brings about nothing but wickedness and badness. So even then, in that context, I'm not thinking evil of my neighbor. In fact, I'm thinking good of my neighbor because I want to protect my family from a bad criminal who wants me to help him when I really shouldn't. Defending the truth is the bigger picture here, or... That is a, a bigger application in terms of being practical today, defending the truth. Let none of you think evil in your heart. Do not love a false oath. Speak the truth to each man, of each man to his neighbor. One thing that entails is to defend the truth when called upon. Not just don't lie, not just speak the truth, but even defend the truth that is there. Not just the heart, but the actions, such as standing up for the powerless who are being slandered, as I mentioned at the Atlanta shooting, uh, they're already slandering quickly. That same day, boom. Christian people, people with influence and thousands of followers on social media, for example, saying, look, see, it's those conservative churches who take uh, the sex roles so seriously. They think these lighten up, man. This is what happens when, that, when you do that. That's a slander. That's a lie. And people try to push back against that, and that's good. That's defending the truth. That's speaking each man the truth to his neighbor. It would be good to have more of that because there's lots of lies going on. It's hard, of course, to pick your battle, and you can't do everything like that, and you can't jump in, into every battle. That's why I said depending on where you are in life and you're given the opportunity. But pray for leaders to do that, to stand up firm, because the pressure is strong in society to what? Whenever society, which is more or less leftist one way or the other, says misogynist, hater of women, Unfortunately, the pressure is there in conservative circles to say, oh, I'm not a misogynist. I'm the one who really loves women. They overhear these really conservative people. They're the ones. I'm not sure how much they really love women. So that pressure is there on the leadership because they know where the wind is blowing, the power structure is going. And pray for them. <clears throat> pray for our church leaders especially not to fall for that kind of peer pressure because it is peer pressure. Leaders you may think are above peer pressure. No, they have the peer pressure of their other leaders, people they want to look good to and say the right things publicly. Truth not just in defending the truth, but also 
uh, in actions, as I said, standing up for the truth, speaking the truth, and defending the uh, powerless and those who are being slandered. In one case, a professor uh, uh, of a uh, college, Christian professor, doxed that church. That this is the church that this man got radicalized at. That's what he said. He had no evidence of that. It just happened. It just ha- happened. And he is already spouting lies. And doxing means you're declaring to the world where the man lives, what their name is, and their address. And what does that mean in today's society? How dangerous is that is? We all know what that, how dangerous that is. We just went through a whole year of it, didn't we? They went after uh, Tucker Carlson, as I recall, went to his front door one time. He had to move because of that. Doxing serious business in today's society. The action would be to stop that, to warn people against someone like that professor. I had the opportunity to do that. I blacked out the address. I said, this is what people are saying about our fellow believers. They don't want to speak the truth. They want to lie because they have evil in their hearts or whatever is in their heart. I don't know. So pray, brothers and sisters, that we would use what we can to perpetuate the truth. Truth in action in particular means what are we doing to foster goodwill in our hearts? towards our neighbor? What are we reading? Books and articles that reinforce or tear down the truth, that love our neighbor enough to speak of the truth? What are we watching? News and blogs that dig into the truth or that agitate us against the truth? Or consistently playing fast and loose with the truth? And I grant that's harder to pull off these days, but it's something to ask yourself. Who are we friends with? Personally, on social media, in person? Are they helping us seek the truth, to defend the truth, to speak the truth? To not think evil against our neighbor. And I think we have, and I know it's a struggle, especially the second part of what you're watching, what you're reading, because there's a lot of stuff out there. So, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to carry on with the truth, to speak the truth to your neighbors, to pray, and to exercise as you are able, truth in the gates of justice, for peace and truth in America and in our churches. Thank the Lord for the truth that we know. And pray the, the truth to be spread more. That we can be agents of the truth. Pray for the protection of the good name of Christians being slandered in America. Let us pray. Our God and Savior, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the admonitions that are moral admonitions and therefore applicable to all ages and all times. And may we understand how they are applicable to us today. May we understand the text not to be a, uh, a broad sweeping a declaration of opening our mouth every time we have to speak of something and say everything we know about everything. That's just not the case. But to be wise, Lord, as serpents, and yet gentle as doves, as we stand for the truth, to speak the truth, each man to his neighbor. In your name alone we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.